And that's to agree with divine order. Not agree with the preacher, but agree with divine order. And if you and I will agree with divine order in the kingdom, in our marriage, with our children, you know, uh, parents that, that uh, uh, after they leave home and the parents go with them in heart, that's out of divine order. You're supposed to stay with your husband. You're supposed to stay with your wife. It's called leave and cleave. And you ought to be praying along that line, I can tell you. <laughs> so the, we're all called to divine order. And if this is divine order this morning, for me to stand up and break the bread of life to you, which is the most amazing privilege that God could bestow on me, then we ought to say, God, there's something here for me. I'm in divine order. A wife ought to say, you know, I'm in this marriage. There ought to be something in it for me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my responsibility best I can. There's something here. And God's a rewarder. Same thing with, with him and her. There's a responsibility. Well, there's something in church for you and me. And I'll tell you, there's more than what you think. Revelation, divine intervention into your heart is just amazing. Some of you, including myself, am alive today because I went to church. In other words, you, you'd be in heaven, but you wouldn't be here. You'd be saying, doggone, I should have paid attention to church. <laughs> uh, so, bottom line, let's just say it this way. Let's just, let's just, we ought to know. We ought to know, why am I here? Well, I've been coming for 40 years. I guess that's just what I do. The uh, certain denomination or faith, they call it their Sunday obligation. They can sleep, they can, they can look at their phone, they can do everything, because it just matters if you're there. And, and frankly, when I went to school, and I actually did go to school, it took me quite a long time to get my degree, but I did get it, hallelujah. But when I went to school, we, at Texas Tech, we had these huge meeting rooms, and there'd be 700 people in a classroom. And there was all sorts, naive as I was, there was all sorts of people that were getting people to sit in their seat so they could miss the class. Because all that mattered was, were you there? Were you counted present? Well, it doesn't work that way in the church. So here's the, here's the bottom line. We're here to change. We're here to change. When you come in these doors, when you open the Word of God, when you go into prayer... The overriding thing is not, God, what can I get out of you, but I'm here to change. How many of y'all would agree humbly that we all need to change? We need to change. Not, not drastically. We're not trying to get you off of this drug and get you to, you know, we're not trying to do anything, that kind of change. However, this stuff, line upon line, here, there, here, little, there, little, precept upon precept, Isaiah says, it'll keep you off of those things and out of trouble. But we're here to change, and I'll tell you, this is the truth, and you, you know these people. When you're done changing, you're done. There's no use for you being, and of course we're not going to ask the Lord to take you on because there's no use for you to be here, but really your life becomes unprofitable. Even no matter how far you have moved, what you've acquired, and what you know, and what you've done, it doesn't matter. When you quit changing, you've quit. So I'm here to change. I'm changed by the very word I preach. I pull it together. I pray and ask God to help me 
not just get a message, but get the message for this morning. Who's going to be there? Who, who has a need? Or It's not just hit and miss, just throw one out there. It's specific. And that's the biggest challenge I have is finding it. It's like a prophetic word. You've you got to find the word and deliver it on, at the time. Well, that's what we're doing this morning. We are changing. And so, Lord, we're open to change. We expect it. We are cooperating. We're not just hearers and not doers, but we're hearers that want to do the Word. We're hearers and doers of the Word we hear. There's a lot of investment in a church service, in a church. A lot of investment. Thousands upon thousands of dollars. I don't know if you can imagine how many thousands of dollars it takes to run this outfit, but it's, it's quite staggering for for what you might think is happening, because we're not building a bridge or, uh, you know, anything like that. But it's quite staggering. It's an investment in the kingdom, and we ought to get something out of it. You're bringing thousands of dollars into the kingdom and saying, Jesus, your Lord, you ought to get something out of it besides just a reservation on the other side. And we are. Praise God. So turn with me, if you would, to the book of John, chapter 16. John, chapter 16. Uh, I got a message yesterday evening, surprised me, not that I got a message, but that I got this one, and I, I <laughs> sometimes it's later than that. <laughs> some people, some pastors get it on the way up, it's like after the second song. I, I'm not that good, I can tell you, I'm not that good, I, I like notes. <laughs> notes keep me not from leaving stuff out and getting off track, which I get off track anyway. But uh, in Daniel 11.32, it says that the people who know their God, that do know their God, shall be strong and do exploits. So I say to myself, I know God, just like your wife or your children or anything. There's more to know, but I know him. Do you know him? He, he, you're refathered from above. And so I say, if I know my God, that my job, my outcome, is that I... Uh, I'm strong, and I do exploits. That's what the Bible says. The people who do know their God will be strong and do exploits. That's our job, if we have a job. That's the byproduct of just being in the fellowship and the family, is that every week we went out and, like, I deadlifted 485 pounds, and last week I could only do 120. <laughs> Amen. So, um... I've noticed, you've noticed, that right now, especially in our government and all that's going on politically, that there's a call to conformity to all be the same. Right. We don't like uniqueness. We don't like different. We don't like people that buck up and have their own opinion or do their own thinking or have an idea about how they should be able to live their life. This corona thing has really been an a, uh, opportunity to, for us to come under some sort of rule and I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just saying it has had the effect of pulling us into a conformity. And then when they say churches can't meet, they're really trying to make us just like the world because we draw our strength, we change in church and, and whatever. It's not the only way, it's just one way, but it's a necessary way. Church is important. For all the churches that are not important and that don't do their job and that just do the mess around, a right church is right. Amen. So the world wants us to conform to sameness. 
when you go into the military, especially in the Marines, but you go into uh, basic, first thing they do is throw away your bell bottoms and your gold necklace and whatever young men bring into that room, and they take it all off, they put you in a uniform, and then they shave your head. And you, from the back, you can't tell who anybody is. They all look the same, and that's, that's for a purpose. But uh, they want us to conform to sameness and not rock the boat. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we are boat rockers. Yes, we, are. we are called to rock the boat, to step out uh, of the boat and get in the water. And here's what that means. I'm just setting this up to, to, to think about something. You need to leave church with something that, that shakes you, that not, not for bad, People tell me all the time, oh, I hadn't been to church unless the preacher steps on my toes. Well, that's not what we're in church for. Go read the Bible and get your own toes stepped on. Jesus had plenty to say about what we're doing. But uh, uh, we're called to be uncommon. Point yourself with me and say, be uncommon. uncommon. We're called to be exceptional. Point yourself and say with me, be exceptional. In a world of conformity and routine and sameness, you are not. You and I are bought with a price. We are not our own. We are unique. We are special. So much so that before the foundation of the world, however long that was, it was ways back. If you look at the Grand Canyon, it was way back. He had a plan for you specifically. He knew your name. He knew exactly what you'd look like. Those freckles. He put them there, hallelujah. He caused things to happen, and he made you unique. He gave you a particular calling, a specific path that he wanted you to go down. And so he put things in your path, like your gender. Well, now actually your gender and, and whether you're tall like me or short like some other people, you, you know, that's your parents' fault. You know, I, I had a little talk with my mother one time, and it did no good, praise God. <laughs> So we're called to be uncommon and to be exceptional. So I'm going to minister this, this morning about uncommon men and exceptional women. But we could say it's exceptional men and uncommon women. It's just that they're the, they mean the same thing, and we need to talk about it. In John 16, 33, let's read that together. The Lord Jesus is, had been, he's in a discourse in chapter 16, and he starts to wind it up here. He's in the very last part of this chapter. And he, he says, I said that to say this. Let's read verse 33 together. Ready, read. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So anybody that says Christians are supposed to have it easy and they're having a hard life, they're just deceived. There's a real devil out there. There's real sin out there. There's the flesh. Have y'all ever met up with the flesh, and it says, let's go, let's go be naughty again. And uh, so there's tribulation in the world. There's uh, a world system, and the devil, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, is the god of that world. And so you got to contend with him because we have flesh bodies, and we're in this world. So we're in this world, but we've been refathered above, so we're also citizens of another world. I want to read something about tribulation. And I got the New Living out because it's just a little easier. So y'all just listen to this because it'll speak to you about the day we live in. It's chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. 
and it's in the New Living. I'm telling you, listen to this. this. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people, here's the difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. Check. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Check. They will consider nothing sacred. Check. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Check. They will be cruel and hate what is good. Absolutely. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You could practically say everybody. They are kind who work their way into people's homes. They are the kind who work their ways into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. Let me just tell you, Paul, that's men too. Don't, don't, don't think anything different. They are, these teachers oppose the truth, such as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Now, he's describing when, before you got born again, that's who you and I were. You go, oh, no, I was, I was a good boy. I was a good boy. Well, I was, but I had a depraved mind. Er, someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. But you, Timothy, certainly know, that, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. We ought to know our purpose in life, y'all. We're not moving around by every wind of doctrine. We're not... We're not confounded by the world. We see the traps. Psalm says the snare of the fowl is broken and we have escaped. We ought to not go back to what we've escaped from. But Galatians says that uh, uh, stand fast in liberty whereby Christ has made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we've been set free. But now it's always easier to um, make a baby than it is to raise one. It's easier to get married than it is to stay married. It's easier to get a job than it is to stay in your job. All these things are true, and it's easier to become a Christian than it is to walk like one. We all know that. It didn't take but a minute to be there. The, back to 1633 in John, the Passion says, Everything I have taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. Here it is. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows. Can you say unbelieving? unbelieving. What's the problem out there? Well, there is a devil, and yeah, there is sin, and there is the curse that's in the world, and all the agendas that people have. But he said that the reason we have trouble is because we are in an unbelieving world. We always kid, us, us preachers always kid, and said if it, it wasn't for the people, church would be so fun. <laughs> the, the, the TEV, the, the what? Today's English version. You know how to write that down somewhere on my head or something. So I, 
It says, I have told you this so that you'll have peace by being united to me. Here it is. The world will make you suffer. But be brave. I've defeated the world. The world will make you suffer. The message says, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Do you all know that world? This godless world. And the Amplified saved it for last. It says, take courage, take courage be confident, cer certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. And here it is. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. I have deprived it of power to harm you. Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. It's so good to be saved. It's so good to be refathered from above. It's so good to be in the family of God. Amen. Well, as we just talked about, there's two kingdoms. The word talks about the kingdom of God. But there's another kingdom, the kingdom of this world. And there's two kingdoms, and that means there's two different worlds. And as we just read in, in, uh, in uh, where did we read that? In John, uh, we talked about how that we're in the world, but we're not of this world. And Christians have a hard time keeping that straight. They think, well, we're in the world. Let's do what the world does. But we're not of this world. Once you get born again, now you were before you were, but after you get born again, we've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So we're in this world. We, the only way to stay in this world is to have a body. That's why when the Lord Jesus gave up his body, he had to leave the earth. And demons cannot bother you too much because they're disembodied spirits. Angels can't come down and do business because they have no body. And if you lose your body, the moment you lose your body, you, you have to leave the earth. And so there's just two alternatives. Now, God's not sending anybody to hell. But if you can't get into his heaven, which is a holy place, then there's just one alternative. He's not sending anybody to hell. He's not willing that any should perish. But if you don't choose life... That is where you have to, by default, go. Aren't you glad we're born again? Amen. Hallelujah. So we don't have to think about it. So uh, there's two kingdoms. There's the legal kingdom, whatever happened to you and I at the new birth. And then there's the positional kingdom, which is how we're acting even after having the new birth. In other words, you can act like the unsaved and yet be going to heaven. Do you all know those people? You go, well, they're not going to heaven if they act like that. Sure they are. If they're born again, when you're born again, you're born again. It's not something where God picks you out and says, okay, you, you, get, you get to go into this room, but if you act up, you're going to come out. Once you're born again, it's just like your own children. Why would he have that parallel if it wasn't true in our lives? Once you have children and they act like old Billy, they're still your kids. And you're like, well, he's acting terrible. I'm just going to not have him as my child anymore. That's never happened. Well, it has, but it, nobody ever meant it. And the same thing with God. This is crazy talk where people think that you can fall from grace. You can fall from being a child of God. And it's sowed great discord into the church. Great, great uh, fear and trembling because people come under the law. Where is the line? I want to be sure, and I want to live as rowdy as I can, but I don't want to cross the line where God will disinherit me, and I won't go to heaven. So I want to live to the line. Where's the line? And they're always looking for the line. What, 
how much do I have to do to stay on the good side of God but still have fun? Not knowing that once you become a Christian, that's when the fun begins. It's just, you just have to acclimate to that right there. So the refathered are in this world, but we are not of this world. We've been, we've been set apart. But if you're a sinner, you're in this world and you are of this world. Jesus said one time, he said, they are of their father, the devil. So you go, no, they're nice people. They just don't go to church. See, that's so wrong. The church doesn't recognize that. Uh, the other day I read a story about a, a, a child, and they'd had a, they had a dog that was older than the child, been in the family a long time, and the child, uh, it was a one-and-a-half or two-year-old, was going down the hall and went by the dog who was eating and patted it on there. And the dog growled, turned, and bit her on the head, and she died. You go, well, that's crazy. I'm not going to get into dogs and cats. I'm not going to get into what she should do. But they're not born again. And they're very, very soulish. And they do whatever they do. Because they're hormonal, they're chemically, whatever they are. And this baby, you know the parents are, are heartbroken. But that's, that's, that's what people do. That's what people do. If you read Animal Farm, if you read Lord of the Flies, you find out what... What people without the law, without the, the constraints of the new birth, how they'll act. They, they turn into to savages. And that's what people that, you, that are not born again, they are savage. They just stay under the law because they don't want the penalty of the law. They don't want to be locked up. They don't want to be sent away. They don't, whatever, whatever the penalty is, they don't want to pay a $1,000 fine. So they act as nice as they have to to stay on this side of the law. But if you just turned them loose and said there's no penalty... Are we getting that right now in America? Then they act like who they are because there's no penalty and there's no inward witness to guide them or to bring them into a border and a boundary. So they just act like the devil because they are of the devil. So that's how the world works. So in John chapter 17, you're right there. Let's look at what Jesus said. He said in verse 11, he said, now, and now he's speaking to the father and now I am no more in the world. Well, he must have been born again. Y'all believe he was? <laughs> but these are in the world, and I come to thee. And it, he talks about that. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, he was in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. So he's talking about in the world but not being of this world. And so we've been refathered from above. This, we, now we are just ambassadors here. We just stayed behind in somebody else's world, our old world, to, to bring the business of the Father. We've been sent like an ambassador. We've been sent back. We never left, per se, but we've been called out of this world and into his marvelous light. So you can leave any time. I said you can go any time. You don't want to be an ambassador anymore? Just check out. I'm not talking about committing suicide, but I'm talking about just saying, like Paul, I've run my race, I've finished my course, I want to adios. But then he turned and said, but because you need me, I'm going to stay because I can always go. Well, you don't have to stay. But some people want to stay and they're godless and they want to live to be 120 years old. It's like, no, y'all need to go on. 
<laughs> oh my, hallelujah. Now, you know what Romans 12, 2 says? And be not conformed to this world. So we're in this world, but we're not of this world, but we could be conformed to this world, even though we're not of this world. He says, don't go back. Uh, one place uh, it says uh, the pig goes back to the wallow and the dog goes back to the vomit. It, you go, what's that all about? That's their nature. He said, get a hold of your, your mind, get a hold of your soul and, and get it in line with your nature. The refathered from above, the born again nature. Get a hold of yourself. Well, how do you do that? Well, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. So we have to have a, a work done in our soul. Well, when, how long does that take? It's called all your life. Born again instantly, but transformed all your life. We never get to the end of it like, I'm done with that. I turned 65 and I'm through with that uh, transforming business. Oh, no, we, we, we want to work on you a lot. Hallelujah. So are you an uncommon man, gentlemen, and ladies, are you an exceptional woman? Because the world, or even the carnal church, is not uncommon. They are conforming to this world. How hard is that? It's, it's our second nature. It's what we were. It's what we know. It's what our memories and our, and our training and our, our, our traditions are, is in the world. So... To be uncommon would not be to be in the world. If I'm going to be uncommon, I've got to be in the world, but not of the world, and act like, behave like I am not of this world. i got to move myself to a heavenly residence in my soul. i got to live like there's heaven on earth. You go, I don't want to do that. Well, just be common. What about being an exceptional woman? Well, Every girl can just go along with the flow and be natural, be worldly, just like they were before they was born again. That, you're not exceptional. You're, re you're regular. But the Lord wants us to be exceptional. He wants us to be uncommon. In Romans chapter 4, we've got to move along here. Sometimes the introduction takes a little while. But then we just hammer the nail on in. Hallelujah. Chapter 4 of Romans. Now, this ought to be uh, one of your favorite chapters. There's a bunch of them. But it says in verse, let's just jump in at verse 18. We, we, we can't set this up. You know what it is. It's talking about Abraham. And Abraham had been told in Genesis that God wanted him to be the father of many nations. Is that right? Well, the only problem was, is Abraham is past, well, he's not actually past the age, but Sarah was. If you, if you read on in Genesis, you'll find out that after Sarah went on, Abraham more, had more children. <laughs> he was 145 when he, when, he, when he bought an SSR and went cruising around town with the lid down. <laughs> yeah, he still had some stuff. But uh, it was a problem to get his whole thinking in line. It says in verse 18, it talks about the uncommon and exceptional man that he was according to the day he lived in, according to the limitations on his body, according to the, the normal plan of living in that day and what they did, which is exactly like what it is now. We have a norm, a routine, a culture, and we all know how to act. We all know pay your water bill. Or you'll be knocking on your neighbor's door saying, can I borrow a cup of water? 
We all know how that works. So it says in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope. Why? That he might become the father of many nations. So it tells us right there that he had to get, he had to, he had to opt out of regular hope. That he's a hundred years old and, and Sarah's old as a tree too. And that, that was not, there's no scenario that a doctor could give him and said, yeah, we got one way to do this. It was over. It was done. He said, who against hope, natural hope, believed in supernatural hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to what, that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. So there was a promise. And there had to be a supernatural work in order to obtain the promise. But Abraham had the promise. Do you have a promise, family? Yeah. Well, God didn't appear to me in the skies. Ah, there's some promises that are specific and unique to you, like all of them. You got the promise. Abraham had to get it in a vision. He had to go into a trance. He had all sorts of things for God because of the old covenant man he was. But you and I, we're born again. He's in us. He's in me. How about you? He's in. So there's no disconnect. There's no like, oh, God would come down. He did come down. He's inside. He's not up there. God, if you'll just hear me somehow up there. He's not up there. Jesus is right here. We are the body of Christ. and He is the head. And he's talking to his body. And he's talking to you and me. So the Amplified says, uh, For Abraham, human reason for hope being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. I've been promised. By his stripes ye were healed. I've been promised. I'll supply all your needs according to my riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I've been promised. I got a promise. It's just as valid, if not more, than the Lord saying, look in the sky and see the stars, and if you can number them, so shall thy descendants be. Or go to the seashore and count the grains of sand and see how many there are, so shall your descendants be. Well, that was a promise. It's pretty bold. But I've got a promise that in my, in my sick body or in my, my poor condition, he said, I'll take care of that. I give you my promise. I give you my word, which is my promise. So this is us. This is, we, we are this man. He got a promise and God said, I'll keep my promise. But there was no natural way to get there. So if they give you a diagnosis in your body and say, even, even like we heard this morning, there's a high probability you're not going to make it. And then when they come back and say, and we've had this happen in, in our family, they're not going to make it. It's over. They will linger for a few days or weeks, but it's done. It's called terminal. There is no hope, no medical or otherwise hope. Natural hope has been exhausted. So what do you do then? Verse 19 says, And being not weak in faith, say it with me, he considered not his body. Well, now, it may not be your body that's dealing with it, but everybody's had a poor day. Well, we'll say a beleaguered day. We'll say a day where you didn't have much money. Everybody's been there. There's nobody in here that was born rich, and it, had, it never... You've had days where you were buying the off-brand green beans. Hi. Yeah, bought them on off-brand. Off brand. Yeah, the, the hula hula brand or whatever. <laughs> it's like, what's that? I don't know, but they're cheap. <laughs> 
two cans for a dollar, we'll, we'll take a bunch. So we've all been there. We've all been there. But in that place where there was no hope, there was supernatural hope, the promise. In the natural, you don't know. If you're addicted to drugs or if you're, uh, 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 what else? I, I get into these examples and they never work out well for me. But, but anyway, they, they say there's no hope. But there is hope. They, there's programs and stuff. But say there was not. Then you would be out of natural hope. Abraham considered not his own body. In other words, he considered the promise. Listen to me. He considered the promise, having no experience with the promise, and having no one testify that, yeah, that happened to me. God said, here's the stars, here's the sand, and it, and it happened to me. So have hope, Abraham, because it happened to me, it'll happen to you. There was none. So he was an uncommon man. You don't have to whoop the Hittites and the Jebusites and the, and the Hittites, whatever those people out there, to be exceptional. Because somebody already whipped those people, the Canaanites and the, all those people. And you go, well, who's the great that we all celebrate? Well, it's the ones that went up at the first of the battle with the Hittites. No, we don't even know who they are. We have no idea. Who's uncommon? Someone that against hope believed in hope and considered not his own situation. Now, you want to be uncommon? you got to be in faith. And you're not in faith. We talked about it Wednesday. You're not in faith till you're in faith. It's not like, well, I'm sort of in faith. No, you're not. People tell me all the time, I'm in faith. But I listen to them, and they're not in faith. And if you're not in, fa if you're not in faith, you're not in faith. There's not a gradient or gradual. I'm 45%. I'm feeling it. No, you're not. You're not in faith until you're in faith, the same way you're not born again until you're born again. You can't be not born again but have so many good works and so many I love God and all this, but not born again and still go halfway to heaven. Peter puts you in a holding room saying, this is the best we can do for you. You go to hell. Am I telling it right? And so there's some absolutes. You're in or you're not in. And until you're in, you're not in. And so we got to be exceptional. We have to get in faith. I have to get in faith, not just agreeing. I have my stripes, I was healed. Oh, yeah, we all believe that. We all believe that. Everybody in here believes that. We're not wrangling or wrestling with, did Jesus pay the price? We're not wondering if he, if he got the job done. We believe that. But the question is, did he do it for me? Because I've been a little rough. And I've been thinking thoughts nobody likes. And I've been doing things that nobody knows. And I, I, and I know that. See, it's easier to pray for somebody else to be healed because you don't know their past, their condemnation, their, their situation. But when they go to pray for you, or when you just go to God and say, I, against all hope, I'm in hope, you know what you did or didn't do. And you're condemned. The devil does that. Is, is that the, how it works? Of course it is. So you can just light up like a bonfire and go pray for other folks and just shandai, ah, be, be healed and be made whole. But then you have a little cough and you go, I'll just get me some Kleenex and some Theraflu or whatever. It's, it's how the church operates. And it's not right. So uh, he considered the promises that he could not see and had no testimony that showed him that this has been done before. 
But that's not you and me. We have the promises and we have testimonies. You need to hear testimonies. We read them every Sunday morning just so that you, just so that we all just go, that looked hard, but God. That guy was ordinary and regular and whatever, but God. And seeing you go, well, okay, it's a story. No, it's just about the most powerful thing that comes into your life after reading the Word. You and I have to have a testimony to live an uncommon life. But Abraham didn't. But God did appear to him. It's pretty overwhelming when God appears to you and says, Hey, boy, <laughs> I've been thinking about you, and I've got a plan for you. And the reason he's, he picked Abraham, it says in verse, uh, chapter 19 of Genesis, because he would command his children, his household, after him. He picked Abraham. Well, if you're exceptional, God will pick you for the job on something that has nothing to do with the job, the calling, the assignment on your life. Because you will do what he said. He said, I, I picked Abraham because he would command his household after him. Go to the next generation, put it in Isaac, and he put it in Jacob, and Jacob would put it in the twelve. He had to have that to get to the Messiah. Is that right? It couldn't be one and done. Verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body. So I looked up the word uncommon. In the thesaurus, thesaurus, theosaurus, uh, theosaurus, however y'all want to say it, it's in the, it's in, it's online.com. So I looked it up, and the word uncommon means exceptional, means noteworthy, means peculiar. How about, how about we hang that on your back and put peculiar? Hallelujah. Original and surprising. Let me read them again. Uncommon means exceptional, which is where we get the exceptional woman. Noteworthy, peculiar, original, and surprising. Look in verse 20. Are you there? Look what else about Abraham. He was uncommon. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He staggered not at the promise. Now, it's one thing to swallow hard, but it's another thing to stagger. And staggering means you just refuse to enter in. There's got to be another way. And like we heard the testimony this morning, I'll get Brother Doodly Doo over in California or up in Canada across in Europe to pray for me because I got this condition. And that's, uh, that's staggering. Another definition of uncommon is remarkable, singular, unique, rare, out of the ordinary. Point yourself with me and say, yes, I am uncommon and exceptional. Let's look in verse 21. And being fully persuaded. <laughs> Halfway persuaded. Uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Feels better about it than he does on those Tuesdays and Thursdays are rough for believing the word. You know, it's no being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform. Now, that's not as hard as it sounds because we all believe that he's able because we hear the testimony. But what we want to know is, is he willing to do it for me? I know y'all y'all are qualified because you're pure and holy and right and good. But I got secrets. I got things that are in my past. I got experiences. I got mistakes. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? 
And so God couldn't get past that because I can't get past that. So we got to get past that. we got to say I'm as qualified as, as uh, Billy Graham or whoever you say is wonderful. Jesus made it where it's as if we never sinned. And until you get that, until you understand, I am as, as if, the same as, equal to, on par with, as if I never sinned. Never sinned. You've got to get there. It's like, I can't get there. Well, then you're not uncommon. You're not exceptional. You're just regular folks. Because all of us can say, I am what I did. I did what they said I did, but I'm not who they say I am. You've got to get that disconnect. I did what they said I did, but I am not who they say I am. I am not what I did. I am what Jesus did. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I have dominion over sin. I'm the head and not the tail. Uh, I, I always conquer in Christ Jesus. He always causes me to triumph. That's who I am. How about you? That's who we are. Amen? So, if, uh, if I'm uncommon, I'm also unusual. This thesaurus was was great. Unconventional. One of the words was weird, but I didn't write it down. <laughs> Prodigious, whatever that means. And then this last one, I like it, scarce. When we're uncommon and exceptional, we stick out. We're not in a crowd of everybody's uncommon. We're uncommon. We're exceptional. We stick out, we show up. But now, if you don't stick out and don't show up, then you're not uncommon. You're not exceptional, because everybody's that way. It doesn't take anything special to yield to the flesh, be conformed to this, uh, be conformed to this world. It comes so natural. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. So he's saying there, your speaking follows your believing. Not your reading, not your quoting or, or repeating, your speaking follows your, are y'all there? Believing. Faith has a voice, faith speaks. And until it speaks, it's not in abundance. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So until it speaks... It's not in abundance, and we got we got to deal with it. Here's what I want to share with you. This is the revelation I got. I yesterday evening a light shone up, and I always tell Deborah Ann. I said I sit here and talk about everything, and the light comes on. But uh, the impossible, the impossible eliminates the possibility of mental assent or mental agreement. In other words, it's better for you to have a situation where he looks over you at the hospital and says, you are going to die, than to say 6%. You know what we all think when we hear 6%? That's me. Them poor 94s. I'm one of the six. We all say that. And so here's the temptation to not get in faith, to not be fully persuaded. How do you know that you're in faith if there's a way for you to get it Outside of faith. Now, thank God not everything in our life is terminal or, or uh, you know, whatever. Out of money, they're going to lock you up or whatever. But it's always the best when you have no way to get it otherwise. Abraham was in that place. 
There was no in vitro or fertility drugs or anything like that going on. Uh, you're going to be childless, Abraham. It is not going to happen, and everybody would agree with that. But God called him to be uncommon and to be exceptional. So if there's, really, if there's human hope, can faith really take over? You need to consider that. That is the revelation of this message. That if there is a human hope, can my faith dominate? Or is it saying, if this doesn't work, I can always plan B. You know, when you really believe you're healed, you cancel your doctor appointment. Yeah. Matthew 17, 20 says, if you have a faith as a grain of mustard seed, what happens? Ye shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Look, 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 and nothing shall be impossible to you. Faith is to deal with the impossible. If it's inconvenient or even just hard, probably will take inconvenient and hard to getting in real faith. This is going to help you if you ever think about this. I've been meditating this for a while. If it's inconvenient, ah, it's inconvenient. I'm going to get in real faith. No, you're not. Well, it's hard, but it's not too hard. It's just inconveniently hard. We say we're in faith. I'm believing God. But if we could take that little mind out, that little soul out, and, and dissect it, we'd say, oh, there's a whole bunch of natural hope here that I won't have to stay in faith, that somebody's going to fix this for me. Someone's going to turn it around. I think that's better than y'all think it is. To experience the impossible, you have to have an impossible assignment. Abraham had an impossible assignment. God didn't tell him, I need you to put together 10,000 sheep and, and 4,000 oxen. He probably could have done it. He was the richest man in that day. But he said, I want you to have my child for me. I want you to have my heir for me. I want you to have my Messiah, the seed of my Messiah. And Abraham was blown away. He had an impossible assignment. Therefore, he ponied up and he was fully persuaded. He considered not. You know, you can go there by faith where you have options, but you totally discount them. Yes. You can go there, but you have to train yourself. You have to make some confessions. You have to commit yourself to God. I, I am committed to you to do it your way, and I will not yield to this no matter how bad it looks, no matter how uh, far out it seems. I am your man, I am your woman, and I'm in. You need an impossible assignment. I've got one on my life. You do too. So I have to get it God's way. There is nothing in me. What Isaiah said about the Lord Jesus, there's nothing comely about him that they should desire him. It'd be harder for me if I was tall, dark, and handsome, or eloquent and flowery and all that. It, you could see a hope, because you see lots of preachers that have a hope based on those things. So what about the uncommon man? What about the exceptional woman? They rub the cat the wrong way. Consider assumptions that we would all say, that's right. Listen to me. The common man would say, that's right. But the uncommon man would say, never. Consider this, that a man that has died because his heart quits beating, 
that a man has died because his heart quits beating. That'd be normal, that'd be common, but the uncommon man will say, not on my watch. That a man is broke because he's out of money. Oh, we even have that testimony among the heathen. They lost everything, but because, it, because they were wealthy on the inside, they just, cranked it, they just went to work the next day and cranked it up. That a man is unemployed because he's lost his job. You know those people? I've lost my job. All is lost. Nah. Just going to have a better job. That, a man, that, uh, that coming to church depends on anyone but the uncommon man. Let me just tell you, you will find it in the days ahead that coming to church will cost more. And I'm not talking about the price of gasoline. will cost more than it does right now. You, we've already been through that with the pandemic and the masks and the distancing. They just now, the Supreme Court this week said that California could not enforce uh, uh, rules on churches that were more strict than rules on secular activities. They could go to basketball games and sit right next to each other like sardines, but you couldn't go to church. And the Supreme Court ruled for the church. But it could have gone the other way. And we've had a year where it did go the other way. That, it's, uh, that a highly probable diagnosis is deadly. But we're not common if uh, we say that you cannot have a home that you can't qualify for. Sure you can. I've lived in three. I couldn't even tell you how we qualified, but we did qualify. They looked at me and said, do you have a job? No, ma'am. Do you have two-year history, uh, a company? No, I don't. Um, do you have money in the bank? No, I don't. And they just look at you. And the realtor that you've hired says, what is this? I've been driving you around all week. <laughs> but I moved into that house in Trustful, Alabama, moved into that house. That healing may fail because when you're ministering someone, that healing may not manifest because you don't feel the power. We discount that. That company policy has anything to do with your future. The common man says, sure it does. The uncommon man says that a boat is required to cross the sea. Are there, are there any water walkers in here? Hallelujah. That you cannot pay your tax if you don't have any money in your pocket. Ah, you could go fishing. <laughs> that two fish cannot feed 5,000 men. The common man would say, nah, that can't happen. But the uncommon man says, what else have you got, boy? That when a daughter dies, her family must plan a funeral. The common man says, well, sure. The uncommon man, the exceptional woman says, it's not done till I'm done. I don't like that saying that says it is what it is. Now, I understand it fits some scenarios. But where it comes to you, it is not what it is. It is what it is until you change what it is. I said it is what it is until you change what it is. We're talking about the uncommon man. Stuff that's written in stone, things that are welded together, that are never going to bend, move, change. And you step up to it and says, you got to go. And I'm here to enforce that going. Now, I know I'm talking faith to you. I know I'm talking about things that are true but uncommon. But I trust that I'm talking to the uncommon man and the exceptional woman. That the seed of his word in you even this morning 
will germinate and stick its little leaf up above the soil and say, I'm going all the way to harvest. I know it doesn't look like it now, but we've been feeding on this a long time. Uh, how are you going to do this? Here's how you're going to do it. Believers do one thing well. What is it? We believe. Now, thinking, we shouldn't, we shouldn't mess with too much with thinking. Our thinking can be a little weird. But our believing is spot on. And the mountain never moved because someone thought it should. It moved because someone believed and said. So you can do this if you'll find something to believe and then just stay with it. I remember the story of Mark Bazee. He's a, he's, a, he's a man in Tulsa, but uh, he was just starting out in faith. And he said, uh, he said God, I want to I start something in faith, but I don't want to hurt anybody. He said, God, I believe I receive a pair of socks. Someone sends me, gives me a pair of socks. And in a week and a half, someone said, I don't know what this is all about, but here's some socks. What, this is crazy stuff. Well, you know what happened? It set his woods on fire. So you need to set your woods on fire. You need to find something. Don't hurt anybody with it. We should not use our baby faith on our children and say, I can't take you to the doctor. I'm going to raise you up. That's foolish. We're not talking about that foolishness. Use your faith on your body if you want to have a body involved. So you ought to believe something. You can't get a testimony until you have been in the fire and come out unburned. And we, we got them all over this room, but I'm talking about get something new. Just say, I'm believing God for a pair of socks to be sent to me. And just wait for it. Check the mail every day. I got them. Amen. So, we're going to put on the Lord Jesus and we're going to be uncommon. We're going to be exceptional, noteworthy, peculiar, original, and surprising. We're going to be remarkable, singular, unique, rare, and out of the ordinary. Some of y'all got that aced already. Hallelujah. We're going to be unusual. Hallelujah. Unconventional, prodigious, and mostly scarce. I challenge you this morning to step it up wherever you are. That if you've been speaking to the mountain, it's been moving over. I, I, I challenge you to find you another mountain. I challenge you to find something that's impossible. Cannot happen, but should happen. Hallelujah. And you bear down. Now, this isn't flippant. This isn't just out of the souls like, I guess I'll do that. This is something you've got to get down and be fully persuaded and consider not. You've got to go to a place you said, ah, this is the way it is. Sometimes we say, I'm not going to go into debt for something. And you just stand your ground. You just say, it doesn't matter if I'm walking. It doesn't matter if I'm under the bridge. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not this and I'm not that. And you get a promise and you just stand. And you become uncommon. It's unhandy. It's inconvenient. It's not easy. People mock you. But then you're driving it and living in it. Well, that was a good word. I am so proud I got to bring it instead of somebody else stepping in here.